This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martalker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is Part 6 in our series on Iris Stephen Bear as a showrunner, where we are going to be looking at his career on the whole. So let's just start at the very beginning with Iris Stephen Bear's first show, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I'm proud of it. This was a show which he took over during season three, and he stayed on all the way through the end of season seven, the end of the show. Yep. And in my personal opinion, it is his best work, and I would say that it is the best Star Trek show of all time by far, and my second favorite TV show of all time, next to Battlestar Galactica. What do you think about Deep Space Nine? Uh, I think it's rather in, uh, unbelievably great. It's it's fantastic. I mean, but I mean, it's it's Star Trek, so like the 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 scale on this can go pretty high. I mean, the original series is one of the most significant things, and Deep Space Nine is certainly uh, it, it certainly deserves its place. I agree. I think when you look at the the work that was done on on Deep Space Nine. What what becomes apparent is a, a group of people led by Bear, who have a, an understanding of what made the original series great, and have a, a great amount of respect for that, but at the same time do not feel like they need to do what the original series did in order to accomplish what the original series accomplished. They can go about it in their own different special way. And uh, I think they did that. I think they hit on something which was ultimately more effective than the original series. And a lot of that probably has to do with just the time period that they were in and the state of television at that particular uh, moment. But um, regardless of that, I think it is a masterwork. Okay, so he was executive producer, showrunner of, of Deep Space Nine from 1995 through 99. And after that, he jumped on to his next series in 2001. And this is a show which we haven't talked about yet. And that's Bob Patterson. Now, Bob Patterson was a sitcom which starred Jason Alexander yep. as the title character. And he was essentially a self-help guru. The tagline, he's changed millions of lives for the better. Still working on his own. It's hilarious. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, we weren't able to cover this series in its entirety because it uh, isn't really available anywhere. I believe that uh, it... 
was canceled after five episodes. It, only nine episodes total aired or, or were made. There is a an episode which uh, pieces of are are on um, YouTube, which starred uh, William Shatner as I think the uh, the guy who Jason Alexander always looked up to. Right. Uh, there's also a kind of B-roll thing of him just giving sort of one-line self-help advice uh, statements, I guess you could call them. What I've seen of it, I mean, hey, it looked amusing enough, and I would definitely watch it if given the opportunity. I missed it at the time because, you know, 2001, I was in college, and mm-hmm. well, you know, somehow... It slipped through the cracks for me. I guess I'm part of the problem since it only aired five episodes. Did you see any of it or, or not? Oh, uh, yeah. What did you think of it? I have no idea. No idea. Okay. It's, it's way too long ago. I don't remember anything about it. I do remember – I remember more the ramp up to its to its, to its its premiere mm-hmm. because it was fairly well marketed. And I did watch at least a few of them, maybe all of the ones that aired. I have no idea. It's too long ago, and it wasn't significant enough to leave a lasting mark. And it, like a lot of other things, was was canceled before its time. But I mean, like that's just that's just the nightmare world of of sitcom ratings. Mm-hmm. It's it's horrifying to be a sitcom in your first season. I do think it's interesting that Bear chose to do a sitcom for his next series. It seems like he's friends with Jason Alexander. I, I, I think I read that somewhere. Alexander obviously appeared in The Twilight Zone, which we'll get to next. Yeah. But you read his, his bio and, and everything, and, and Bear, you can tell that comedy is one of his loves when it comes to storytelling. And it's sort of strange that he's never done... Uh, a straight up comedy show. Comedy's much harder. Uh, yeah, it could be. It, that could be it. You know, I, it's I mean, much harder. But I, yeah, I think that he—it's just terribly difficult. I think that he'd be good at it, though. You know? I think he might be good at it, but it might just make him miserable working on it. That could be. I mean, like there, there, there's, there's plenty of reason to say that, like that's a good idea for a job, but not for me. Yeah. Well, regardless, so the next season. As we stated before, Bear was given a choice between Birds of Prey and Twilight Zone. Yeah. And he chose the Twilight Zone. This was a show which was obviously a reimagining, a reinvention, a, a re... Jiggering? Sure. Of, of Rod Serling's classic science fiction show from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Pretty much following the same format, 30-minute anthologies, two airing each week. So for a total of like 42 episodes or 43 episodes. Well, the Twilight Zone did mutate at one point into an hour-long show. Yeah, and this has one hour-long episode. The pilot was designed so that it could be either an hour or a half hour. And uh, the pilot was directed by Jonathan Frakes, by the way. For this new show, kind of interesting that, that Bear is the only person in history who has run both Star Trek and Twilight Zone series. Yeah. It's a pretty big uh, uh, distinction right there. What do you think about the Twilight Zone? Bear's run on this weird Twilight Zone is is unfortunately not 
anything enough to be all that worth talking about. I mean, if it was terrible, we could talk about how bad it was. But if it was great, we could talk about how good it was. But it's just right there in that okay territory. I, you know, I kind of agree with that. I do think it is a decent show. I don't think it's anywhere near the level of the original series, but then again, very few shows are. I do think it's kind of strange, as we talked about in the episode, that that Bear would choose to run an anthology show. Uh, Or maybe it's not strange. Maybe it's just uh, somewhat disappointing as a viewer, because I think that he's much better at his continuing storylines. That's sort of something which he excels at. So to sort of have to watch a bear show knowing that it's not going to go any further than than these 22 minutes is kind of disappointing. But on the whole, I do think it is a good show, and I would recommend it. I I like to interpret that as a psychopathology, that it's just a, a dysfunction that he keeps recreating. What's that? The war over continuity. Because he seems to gravitate towards it so unconsciously. It would make a lot of sense if it was just an abusive relationship that he was recreating over and over again. I suppose that's a possibility, you know? Maybe his uh, fight to get it into Star Trek was rather traumatic, and he can't let go of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have assumed that happened in childhood. Well, that show was canceled after a year, and his next show came in 2004, which was the 4400. Yeah. A show which was created by his Deep Space Nine collaborator, Rene Echeverria and Scott Peters, and run by Bear about a group of people who had gone missing over the span of the past, let's say, century, who all of a sudden reappear in Seattle with superpowers. Very interesting show, I think. I'm quite fond of this of this show. I would say it's Bear's second best show next to Deep Space Nine, and uh, Bear says it's his second best show next to Deep Space Nine. What do you think? The, the, there's a lot about the show that is good, and there's a lot about it that's frustrating because it really feels like it should be better. Uh, I, I said in the episode that we did about this that uh, I, I, I have no difficulty saying that it's a good show, but... I have enormous difficulty saying that people should watch it because it's just not particularly surprising. Like, once you're past the first episode, you you get, like, oh, it's X-Men meets Left Behind. I think that they do a good job of expanding on the mythology over the course of the series and changing it and growing it and, and making it uh, into something much larger than than what it started out with. And I think one of the keys to that is, unlike a lot of shows like this, and unlike what they were planning on doing with this show, instead of just saying, like, there's a mystery, what's the answer? Better tune in next week to find out. They actually do answer questions and then ask new ones and build on that and keep on growing and growing until it becomes something which is is really fascinating instead of just the same question being asked again and again and again. I it has nothing to do with the questions. It has nothing to do with the mysteries. The story, you know. From the first episode, you know where it's going. You know where the characters are going. You know how it's going to get there. I don't think that's true. Uh, fine. I I thought that it was... 
I thought it was really well executed, but by the book. All right, if you say so. I would definitely recommend 4400. I think if there's one non-Star Trek show uh, that Bear did that you're going to watch, that's the one that you should check out. And part of that, I think, also has to do with the fact that that's one of the few which has actually been completed. You know, I mean, Twilight Zone, you could end whenever you want since it's an anthology show, but 4400 is one which he saw through all the way to the end. He was there from the first episode to the last episode, and so it's it's a complete bare thing. In some ways, I would say it is the purest bare work. This It, it has the least amount of influence of, of others. It, it is... M- almost completely his show in a sense i mean obviously it was created by someone else and with any show it's a collaborative process and there were a lot of people on board but he was the guy who was in charge from beginning to end he did not develop it from a pre-existing property he did not have the thing canceled halfway through his run or anything like that it it is a complete bare work so in that sense, I find it to be interesting. Yeah, I think making a call like that is sort of impossible. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, all TV is collaborative, but I think that's a case where you can kind of say that. I think we need to, like, you know, like everyone involved would need to be dead. We need to dissect their brains next to some sort of incredibly high-tech device to scan the entirety of the series for influences and connections. Then we'll know. And that's a TV show that I want to see. A year later, a year after after 4400 was canceled, there, there was no, no bear on the, air, on the air for a year. No bear on the air? No bear on the air. But then in 2009, he was hired to reinvent Crash. Yeah, this part. <laughs> this is the best part. There's nothing good about the show and that's actually that's actually not entirely i'm not entirely sure about that because when after we did the uh, the episode about crash some some thought popped into my head i thought could it be that it's supposed to be stupid am i crazy for thinking that maybe it's actually supposed to be stupid and i ended up watching a few episodes of season two of crash again after we'd done the episode about it, just to test my theory that maybe it was intentionally stupid. And the main thing that I was testing was this final thing at the end of Crash where there's a like a Manson ripoff, a Manson cult ripoff storyline, and it's totally absurd and totally ridiculous and very silly and rather dumb. And and I was testing my hypothesis that maybe that was the entire point. That maybe instead of being like a red herring to fill the show's um, racism meter. It was, in fact, an intentionally idiotic plot device to illustrate how really just silly racism is. I have a really hard time dismissing that hypothesis. And if, and like, it's a really meta thing to do to essentially like add a plot element to your show that will kind of screw it up dramatically in order to make a point about something that you've kind of hidden away in the the distance for the entire season. But I really like that interpretation. 
All right. Well, um, I, I guess that is a possibility. It's not something that I had thought of, and I, I would probably say that that's not accurate if I had to guess. But uh, but you can't dismiss it entirely. Sure, sure. I can't dismiss it entirely. I I I don't think that 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 is what the intention was. I think that the intention was to make a good show. And I think that he tried really hard to make a good show. And I think that the deck was stacked against him, and there was really no way to make a good show out of that. And while I do think that what he did with the show was really interesting, I think that ultimately it was a bad show. I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's unfair to call it a stacked deck. There, w- th- there wasn't even a whole set of cards. He only had 51 cards? No, he had way less <clears throat> than 51 cards. Way less than 51, yeah. I think he had, like, maybe ten cards. Yeah. And with that in mind, he did a good job. But the show itself is still not good. All right. Well, in 2011, again, there was a a year-long gap, and then he picked up another show in 2011. He was the showrunner for the first season of Alphas, which is a show about... Uh, a team of of mutants who have superpowers who are in sort of a group therapy session slash uh, crime fighting It's X-Men meets in treatment. Okay, X-Men meets in treatment, but without the costumes. There's no costumes in in treatment. So what did you think about Alphas? Alphas is a tricky show because it's there. Was, there was a lot about it that seemed really good, and, and uh, it just kind of never clicked. I mean, I, I disagree with that. I, I think that the the concept was pretty solid, and what they did with with it was really interesting. It's just more of a case of them not having enough time to do anything more substantial with it. And to be fair to Alphas, I haven't watched season two. And it's quite possible that it, I think watching it did season get two better. might be unfair to Alphas. Okay, well, I, I mean, I know, I know Brandon said that he he liked where they went with it, but watching season one, you know, they're laying the groundwork for something really cool. And I mean, what what existed there wasn't bad at all. I I, I liked what what was there. It was actually very similar to forty four hundred. It's the thing is that that's that's really the that's that's the frustrating thing about that's the, that's the infuriating thing about the show. They did a lot of really great stuff in the first episode, and they didn't do much afterwards. Well, maybe given time, they would have been able to expand on that. I think that it's entirely possible. I don't know how much time you're supposed to give a show, though. I feel like I gave it way more time than is reasonable. I would have given it more. I would have. Yeah. Because it was not objectionable. So those are the shows that Iris Stephen Bear has run thus far. But aside from running television shows, he's worked on a lot of shows in, in one capacity or another, usually as a writer of some sort or a writer-producer. Yeah. Um, just looking at his career, from the beginning he's done work on Jessica Novak, Brett Maverick, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Bring Him Back Alive, Fame, which he was on staff for for a, a really long time. Uh, he wrote 10 episodes of that show. Once a Hero, The Bronx Zoo, The Outsiders, Star Trek The Next Generation, Beyond Reality, Dark Angel, 
Dr. Vegas. And that's about it. So, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of these earlier shows, but I have seen Star Trek The Next Generation, obviously. Really? Yeah, and and he did uh, three episodes of that. Um, Yesterday's Enterprise, Captain's Holiday, and Cupid. Everyone wrote at Yesterday's Enterprise. Yes, yes. But I, I liked all of those episodes. I guess, I guess the, the the way it works now is that we all pretend that Vash is a good character. I, I love Vash. Okay, fine. We're all just pretending that Vash is a good character. <laughs> no, no, I'm not pretending. Fine, that's that's the rule now. No, I've always in order loved to Vash. be in order to be a good American, we have to pretend that Vash is not an incredibly annoying and stupid character. I've always loved Vash. I loved what they did with her on these two episodes, and I loved what they did with her on on Deep Space Nine with Q. Less. What is it? Q. What was the one on Deep Space Nine called? Qless. Is that Q? Um, isn't isn't Qless the one where he's human? No, that's Deja Q. Okay, and the second Q episode is Hayden Q. I think it's Qless. Q who is the Borg one? Right. Cupid is this one. Uh, he wasn't in season five. Then in season six, he was in Tapestry and uh, All Good Things. Right. Once so again, they, they, like they managed to put that one one stupid one in there that doesn't fit the, the model. Yeah. And it would have been so easy to just call it It's a Wonderful Q. <laughs> and then there's, you know, the the Voyager ones, which I don't know the names for those. The Q and the Gray. Yeah. Is it like Son of Q or something like that? Um, Q squared. That Q squared just sounds right. So it's got to be Qless for for Deep Space Nine. We're sitting here doing this, and I'm sure everyone who's listening is like, "It's Qless, God damn it!" Or or we're like not getting it at all, and it's like too cute. Yeah. Oh, we forgot about True Q. With the the trick from the Wonder Years. Yeah, that was the season six episode. Yeah. Yeah. Season five was Tapestry. No, no, Tapestry was season six as well. But there's two Q episodes in season six? Yeah, but none in season five. It's crazy. Yeah. All right, regardless. He was good on Next Generation. Beyond Reality, have you seen that show? Yes. Is that a good show? No. Okay. And then for Dark Angel, he was a consulting producer, and he actually co-wrote the finale of that show. Yeah. It was the only episode that he wrote... He co-wrote that, and that was the one that was directed by James Cameron. Yes. So there was a, a moment in time there where it was the first thing that Cameron had directed after Titanic, and you know it was it was a script which was written by Ira Stephen Bear. Uh, I think the first thing that he did after um, Deep Space Nine, and it's like okay, so, so you've got the first script by Ira Stephen Bear after Deep Space Nine, and the first directorial effort by James Cameron after Titanic, put together with Jessica Alba. I, I remember when that thing aired. I watched it live because I was so excited about it. I remember when you watched that live, and I remember thinking, but you've seen the rest of that show, right? At that point, I Do had seen... Do you really think that this is going to be particularly good? At that point, I think I had seen all of season one and like half of season two. All right. I, I, I bailed out of that show really early because it was rough 
I, I like that show a lot. I got so sick of it. I mean, that's a show which we could quite possibly cover at some point on this show, since it was, I think, run by Rene Echeverria. Yeah. But, no, yeah, I, I did like Dark Angel a lot, and you hear the plans that they had for their third season that, you know, was being set up in that episode that Bear wrote, and season three would have been awesome. Um. Yeah. Uh, Still, I just the, the human fact. animal hybrids thing that came in. I got just so sick of it. Regardless of that, <laughs> I just I just love the fact that the thing that got Cameron back in the director's chair after five years and and winning an Oscar and all this other stuff. The the next script that he directs is one written by Ira Stephen Bear. That means you know that at some point in time, Ira Stephen Bear and James Cameron have been in the same room together, like just talking, just talking, or trying to be creative because it was based on a story by Cameron. Yeah, I I, I get it. I get what you're saying. I you're, mean, can you're, you you're saying that, that in your mind, your mind, in your mind, when when this meeting was scheduled, like like somebody called Ron Moore and said that we need to move you to NORAD just in case somebody blows up this building. <laughs> I mean, just just think about that. Just think about that. I mean, that's what I want to see. If if there's video footage of that or audio footage of that, I Screw just want Bob to see, Patterson. That's the sitcom. Like, I don't even care what they were talking about. I don't care if they were like, "Hey, you know, what do you think about this pizza?" And, you know, I want to know. I, I'm really curious to see what two of the, the greatest uh, science fiction minds uh, in, in history think about the pizza that they're eating. Because see, I, 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 I picture them trying to figure out how to make the phone dial out. <laughs> Maybe. But whatever it is, I, I, I want to see what happens when James Cameron and Iris Stephen Bear get together in a room and start talking. Oh, <laughs> The last part really changed it. Either way, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that That's just amazing to me. That has always blown my mind. Okay. Your mind can be blown by two people in a room. Yes, it can be. When it's those two people, yes, it can be. Okay. Now, he also wrote for a show called Dr. Vegas. Yes. Which starred Rob Lowe. Yes. I remember this show. I watched the show because I knew that Iris Stephen Bear was involved in it. Really? I remember watching his episode. How about that? Um, I enjoyed the show. Oh. I don't really remember anything about it. I remember it looked really cool and that Rob Lowe was in it as a doctor in yeah, Vegas. It was one of those one of those so slick and flashy, check it out, awesome, it's going to be so great kind of shows. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm sure that some people thought that it was all those things. Uh, to me, it was just another procedural. He was like an in-house doctor thing. at a uh, at a casino in Vegas. Yeah, and uh, it was created by John Herzfeld, who's a, a very good filmmaker. He made Two Days in the Valley. So, there's okay. that. And now he ha- he's working on the new uh, Ronald D. Moore show, Outlander. Which, yeah. according to him, let me get this straight here, Ron Moore is running the show on the whole, but he is running the writer's room. Is that right? That's what he said. Okay. So take that as you will. I'll be honest, every time we talk about this show, like my opinion on that role, those 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 positions, changes entirely. So yes, he, he is running the writer's room, and Ron Moore is running the show on the whole. 
It's about a woman from the 1940s who ends up going back in time to the 18th century where she falls in love with a young warrior. And we just watched the trailer. Yeah, how about that? What, what do you think about this show? you excited about it? No. No? Yeah, see, you, you could tell me that it was about anything. You could tell me that it was about two guys in a room ordering pizza. And I'd be like, I'm watching that show as long as it's being run by Ron Moore and Iris Stephen Bear. I don't you care. could tell me that it's about two guys in a room trying to order a pizza by trying to figure out how to get the phone to dial out. And they could both be aliens. And I don't care because based on these things, I don't know if it's going to be good. Well, I don't know if it's going to be good either. But I do know that both of these people have an extremely good track record. And I am willing to give anything that they do a shot because the odds of it being good are exceptionally high. Well, that'll be dropping later this year. I believe it comes out this summer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good shows coming out. Uh, and a lot of trailers just dropped for, for um, Star Trek people shows. We got the, the new trailer for Salem, which is the new Brandon Braga show which will be coming out in the spring. I think that comes out in March, if I'm not mistaken. And then there's there's this show. Braga's got Cosmos, which is coming out later this year. And then Ron Moore's Helix just debuted, too. Yeah. So, Helix. Yeah. Are we calling it Ron Moore's Helix? It's not really Ron Moore's Helix. It's That's good. I feel Steven, more comfortable not Steven. calling it Ron Moore's Helix. Okay. Regardless. So that's Iris Stephen Bear. Any final thoughts on, on Bear's career? I think that there's a lot of great stuff in Bear's history, and I, and I think that he's got a good shot of doing even more great things. I don't know why anyone would want to do this show, Outlander. It doesn't seem particularly um, well-structured for uh, a series. Well, I guess we'll find out. I mean, I haven't read the books. Have you read the books? No. But we shall see. For me personally, I do think that Iris Stephen Bear is the best showrunner that Star Trek has ever known. I think that his other shows also stand up uh, very well. I like all of them, aside from Crash. And I will watch anything that that guy does. I cannot wait for Outlander. It is the television show which I am looking forward to more than anything else easily. Um probably anything that I have been looking forward to uh, since, like, Caprica. I cannot wait for this show. I cannot wait to see what Iris Stephen Bear has up his sleeve. I cannot wait for his novel. So, yeah, he's the best. Well, it's been fun talking about Iris Stephen Bear's career today, but that's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek.fm. It's not? Nope. Here's a taste of uh, what you can find elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. A piece of the action commentary. Wouldn't that be amazing if you went to a solar system and Spock was like, okay, Kirk, you're not going to believe this, but I'm pretty sure there's a Death Star here. Yeah, I was going to say, you could you could just go to a Death Star, you know? And he'd be like, no, there isn't. Holy cow, there is. Oh my God, that's awesome. Earl Grey. TNG Season 1 Recap. And we get to see some junior officers that Lieutenant LaForge is, is now in command of. Instant pep talk and miss I don't know what button to push. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you leave the entire senior crew off. The Ready Room. 
affliction and divergence. Yeah, the other interesting thing about that, though, is to compare the Klingon ethics with the Section 31 ethics, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, there are some groups within the Klingons who maybe don't feel exactly the same way. But then yeah. there's this group within the humans who feels completely different. And you kind of wonder what the Klingons think maybe about someone who wouldn't do this. The orb. Implications of genetic enhancement. Miles slowly kind of gets to know these other characters. He's a little bit more comfortable with him, but he's still kind of at arm's length because he, they don't have that normal sense of control, or what yeah. we would call normal sense of control, that Julian does. To the journey! The Borg. Some people might really get on my case for saying this, but I think the Borg were bigger baddies and more threatening and more scary in TNG than they ever were on Voyager. Warp 5. Enterprise Season 3 with Larry Nemechek. All of a sudden, UPN got put under Les Moonves, the head honcho of CBS, the master TV network dealmaker, and kind of looked at this thing, and he was not all caught up in the goldenness of the 90s and the aughts, and he's like, you guys aren't paying your own way. Commentary, Trek stars. Alphas. Those TV shows were nerds. And nerds liked those TV shows because like, of what they were. And Elphas was actually a pretty cool nerd. And people didn't seem to like it because it was just a little bit too tough looking. Like yeah. it maybe knows how to throw a football. Literary treks. Slings and arrows, the oppressor's wrong. And I'm curious to see the next time I go back and watch Homefront Paradise Lost, how much this adds to the experience for me, knowing all this stuff that was going on and knowing how much more involved Leighton's plans were than what we knew about just from the episodes. Matter stream. Star Trek Axanar with Alec Peters and Richard Hatch. If you've ever experienced war or any kind of um, conflict where everything is life and death, there's a certain kind of um, resolve, truth, experience that you come to that um, I don't think too many people can understand or ever really uh, empathize with. And introducing our newest show, Melodic Treks, covering the music of Star Trek. Alexander Courage and the TOS theme. Rather than being in fact wrote words for the Cottage's Star Trek theme song, not because he expected the lyrics to be sung on television or anything like that, but just so that by doing he could claim credit as the song's co-creator and therefore receive half the royalties from the song. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Okay, so you haven't read Outlander, and I haven't read Outlander. But you know what? Since we are both Trek FM listeners, we could get Outlander for free on Audible.com. Outlander, written by Diana Gabaldon, narrated by Davina Porter. It's short, only 33 hours and 8 minutes long. The first book, anyway. And, uh, yeah, I mean, here's a description for people who don't know. It's an all-time Audible favorite. That mixes historic fiction, adventure, and romance with one of the most fascinating literary devices, time travel. Outlander introduces an exhilarating world of heroism and breathtaking thrills as one woman is torn between past and present, passion and love. In 1945, 
Former combat nurse Claire Randall returns from World War II and joins her husband for a second honeymoon. But their blissful reunion is shattered when she touches a boulder in an ancient stone ruin and is instantly transported to 1743 Scotland, a place torn by war and raiding border clans. Will Claire find her way back to her own time, or is her destiny forever linked with Clan Mackenzie and the gallant James Fraser? So there you go. You can get this book for free on audible.com and be all ready for the new Iris Stephen Bear TV show. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trek.fm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. All right. Well, that's about it for Iris, Steve, and Bear. As always, you can find us on Trek.fm doing this show. You can also find me on Trek.fm doing Standard Orbit, and you can find both of us on CommentaryTrackStars.com where we do Commentary Trackstars off-topic with our friend Brandon. Mm-hmm. If you want to leave us some feedback, uh, send us an email at ComTrackStars at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at ComTrackStars. Next week, we are going to continue the Deep Space Nine theme by starting up a series on Iris Stephen Bear's co-writer, Robert Hewitt Wolfe. 